Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome to On the Sporting Couch, a psychological profile and a bit of a therapy session with some of our most loved sports stars. I'm Gary Bloom, a sports psychotherapist, and that means I work with elite sportsmen and women who are struggling or have struggled to come to terms with the pressures of being in the spotlight. Meet George Groves, one of our most successful boxers of the last decade. He held the WBA super middleweight title and previously British, European and Commonwealth belts at a similar weight. His most controversial fights, though, came against James DeGale and Carl Froch, and they defined his time in the ring. His career spanned 32 fights and included 28 wins. Welcome to On the Sporting Couch. Today, George Groves, who once told me, I don't like people who celebrate mediocrity. George, what's wrong with mediocrity? I appreciate people who strive to do something a little bit special, a little bit extraordinary. And I get a little bit frustrated when when we celebrate mediocrity. I'm not that way inclined. I'm very competitive by nature. I think most people in sport who get to the highest level are supremely competitive. If it's something that um, is important to me, I can become very selfish. You know, I can. I, it's, it's about me succeeding. About about me winning. If you're capable of more, don't celebrate. Don't don't celebrate before you get to the top of that mountain. And I feel like I tell you what, I've got a problem with it. Here mm. we go. A lot of young people, and we've talked on about this on another sporting couch show. A lot of young people find mediocrity, ordinariness, just so difficult to deal with, and it's often that curse of ordinariness that leads them to some pretty weird and wacky behaviour that you might see in schools or youth clubs or knife crime and that's the bit I'm not quite sure I, I buy into what you're saying George. It's those young people who want to be special but end up then going on the wrong side of the tracks. I appreciate you went on the right side of the tracks but how do we help young people just be ordinary and mediocre because not everybody can be a world champion. Not everybody can be a Commonwealth British and European champion yes no definitely as i say you, you it wouldn't make it wouldn't if everyone was special then what would be special about that no of course but it's about it's about um giving giving kids in particular um the opportunity to do good things and to excel in them to take pride in them when they have done something well 
you know if there's no if there's no opportunities then you usually take the easy route which is the the wrong route what drove you to the right route tell me about your early life and mum and dad because they're very very instrumental on making sure that you go down the right path from a very early age um i wanted to box from seven years old i wanted to box and um i was kind of i think i was too young to box you can't really um box until you're like 11 years old so um, I think what a lot of a lot of people do is ended up in sort of mixed martial arts. I did kickboxing and loved it. And it was there was there was probably a lot of periods where, as a kid, you want to come home from school, you might want to watch cartoons, you might want to go out with your friends, you might want to do this, you might want to do that. But my dad in particular was very much, no, you've got training tonight. You need to get to the gym, and he would he would take me. He would uh, you know. He'd be, it pushed me and there was times where I suppose we we, we didn't always get on because um, he was uh, you know he pushed me quite hard looking back now and remember you're a dad yourself now do you think he pushed you too hard do you think he was too no no I mean for a long time I thought you know that that was a bit too much and I would have done it but now I think it was just the right amount he got to a certain age and he just um, let me get on with it by then it was already instilled in me to to work hard to push push for it and um nothing ever felt unachievable to me i've i've always been that sort of character where if i put my mind to it um i'll get it done you know you can't do everything but if you if you as long as you understand what you're trying to accomplish and you want and you you truly want to do it you can and, and will do it you see, I find it fascinating that a seven-year-old boy, and, and, and admittedly your dad's really into Nigel Benn and Frank Bruno, big fan of, of those boxers, British boxers. And I can understand where he's coming from, but why would you want to fight somebody at seven years old? I just don't get that, I'm afraid, George, right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose that, that might just be down to the individual. Maybe that's down to my my background where where you know where I'm from, but I, I promise you there'll be a lot of kids up and down the country at seven years old that are, are desperate desperate to um to be fighters. But there's competitive, as in football and cricket and rugby, but a competitive fighter I think adds another dimension to that. And I'm really trying to dig down to why you want to fight somebody. And this is a real you know theme throughout your sporting life, George, that you've always wanted to be involved in competitive fighting. It was always the the, the competition because um, what what boxing and kickboxing and any sort of any sort of sport will you take the emotion out of it. You know, um, of course, you have the emotion of winning and losing, but there was never the emotion of actually wanting to hurt someone. I just loved the fact that it was one on one, me versus you, and there is a clear line between. Who won and lost? You know, uh, it's, it's. I'm not involved in. I've never been involved in team sports where there's escape goats where you could have an exceptional game and still lose and still have that um, that feeling of of not of not fulfilling whatever you set out to fulfil. Um, boxing, um, you know, it, it comes with so many more pressures and so many more um, difficult things to to deal with. But at the same time, you bask in the glory yourself which so it's like having control over this sporting occasion in a way that maybe a golfer or a tennis player would do there's only one person to blame if you lose and that's yourself yeah i think so i mean obviously you've got um 
once you once you rattle through the levels and you start getting to the highest level, you'll have a support network around you. Those people are extremely important. They are, they are vital. But ultimately, the buck stops with you. That's something that uh, I I couldn't I probably couldn't have coped with if that wasn't the case. So I have to I have to be accountable for myself, especially if uh, I want to try and go on and do something great. Then then that'd be that. In boxing, in particular, you know you you know your idols are Muhammad Ali. Uh, the greatest sportsman of you know in in history or you know that's the common the common um, thought process so that is what you're striving for but interestingly enough george your hero is as a young man is a fictitious character it's rocky and that interests me you see this is rocky is not a real boxer it's not as though you looked up to a muhammad ali or a nigel ben or a bruno i'm sure you held those people in great esteem but rocky is the person that really ignites your career yeah, definitely, definitely so. But it's the um it's the story. It's the story of um we we you know maybe it's particularly British the British culture or maybe it is worldwide, the idea of the underdog, the idea that he um he can go on and and achieve. And it, you don't you know, when I was watching watching the films back as a kid, you know, y- your your favourite moments and your favourite films kinda change. You realise when you're an adult why Rocky won, won an Oscar, and Rocky Four didn't, you know. So, um, but at the time, you know, you just want to see him beat the Russian, you know, uh, when you when you're seven years old. And I wonder if the Rocky story creates the template for your boxing career. The idea is, I'm always going to paint myself in the position of the underdog. Yeah, it's usually it's usually at times explained to me, you know, whether I'm aware of it or not. It's but you, you know, it's for. So people to make you make you feel good when 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 things are really tough. It's like, John, like, this is going to be all the more sweeter when you finally finally get there over the line. When you finally happen because you haven't managed, you've got no favors. People haven't made it easy for you. You've had to work really hard for this, and you're going to enjoy it that much more. I've always been a bit bullish. I've always appreciated and and liked the thought of doing it the hard way without purposely sort of going down that road. But I would say this is an unconscious desire of yours, George. As we look at your career, which we're going to do in this programme, you paint yourself as the underdog, the guy with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, the one who's going to defeat all the odds and still get there. Uh, yeah, I think I think tr- trust. I think I had a lot of trust issues. Um, Who, why just... did you find it hard to trust people? I beat I beat James DeGale as an amateur and I didn't get the the call up that I felt I I deserved. I didn't, you know, he still stayed ahead of me in the in the in the selection process and then went on to win uh Olympic gold medal, which at the time was just um terrible for me. You know, he did um back then more so even than back now that that meant that his career is now set up. He has the best platform to um to go into the pros and i had to then i had to okay well i'm the b side of of this of this rivalry as such and i'm gonna have to carve out my own route i'm gonna have to work a bit harder now tell me about your early career when did you feel george that this could be something that could define your life being a boxer when did you first have that realization I mean that was always the plan from the, the second I wanted to be, you know from the second I decided I wanted to 
to box, I wanted to be a boxer. And that was, if anyone asked me, that was what it was going to be. If anyone, my mum and dad would tell people that, you know, I'd be 10 years old, 11 years old, I was going to be a boxer when he grows up, he loves Rocky, etc., etc. I started boxing at Dale Youth at uh, 10, and then 11 years old, you start boxing in sort of national uh, tournaments, and, and I just kept winning. I won everything. I was, um, it wasn't until I was 15, and I started travelling with uh, the England squad, so England cadets, they were called under-16s, which go all around the world, and um, that, was, that was when I started getting getting beaks. I was fighting, um, you know, a higher level of opposition, some some mature kids and stuff like that. So, uh, what was that like? Did that did you find that hard? The occasional defeat? Uh, yeah, I mean, I sobbed my eyes out the first time I lost. Um, it was uh, I never thought I'd ever get beat. I'd already had it all all planned out, even at that age. That it was right. My Olympic cycle is going to come round. I'm going to be 20. I'll go to Olympics. I'll win that. I'll turn professional. You know, I'm not going to beat Mike Tyson's record of winning a world title at 20. But uh, you know, in a couple of years' time, I'll be. It, it, I was going to be the uh, the the greatest of all time. I think when I started getting beat on the on the England circuit at 15, 16, I didn't lose many. You know, I only lost really at the major tournaments. I think I lost. Two two times the first, so they're coming sort of seasons. The first season I only lost two, uh, the second season I probably lost once, you know, it, but it was frustrating. So I'd win all the golds, go into the major tournaments, um, so it'd be like they would be the European Championships or the World Championships, and then uh, you get beat sometimes a little bit unjustly, sometimes where you've you're fighting a you know a Russian in Russia, you ain't going to get the decision, um. And you come home with your tiny violin, and you're you know, you know, feeling sorry for yourself, but no one really cares. And ultimately, it is, doesn't really matter because um, you need to focus on on the end goal. It was always for us it was always um, professional honours. This is on the sporting couch on Talk Sport with Samaritans. When life is tough, they're here to listen. Still to come on the programme, George talks about his disappointment of those big defeats in those big boxing matches. The thing that strikes me about your story is telling an 11-year-old boy, your mum and dad did that, and the 11-year-old believing it, that you're going to be a professional boxer, there's a lot of pressure on a young man. Uh, No, I mean, it it was me telling everyone else. It wasn't at all pressure i was never i was never nervous about calling home and saying i'd lost a fight or anything like that um or disappointing anyone i only ever lost well i lost a couple of times in the, in the uk fighting as an amateur how did you deal with defeat let's go down to those dark hours after a after a decision maybe a points decision had gone against you how did you deal with that defeat N- never well did you blame yourself never well uh not always <laughs> <laughs> not always say I lost 10 times as an amateur I think uh, probably I blame myself two or three times the rest of the time it was um, sometimes sometimes true sometimes it might have just been a bit it might have been even Stevens I mean you're only fighting over three four rounds so it's hard to always tell but it's just you 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 can't you can't stand losing like especially when there's other because you're always going away as a team so if someone went on to win the gold and you didn't win the gold you would be absolutely livid it just made you work harder to be honest let's just pick up that theme and what you said to me when we spoke on the phone preparing for the show was i was stung by not going to the beijing olympics was that the lowest part of your career 
No. Uh, well, am- amateur career, I was... De Gale goes instead. Yeah, so... De it... Gale wins gold. Come on, George, you must have been absolutely devastated. In terms of um, the heartache, it was, you're, you're frustrated, you're angry... But I don't know. I don't think I was sad because it's it's a gradual process. So you know, like um, you have three or four qualifying tournaments that you send you send invites to. Degal went to the first one, didn't qualify. Degal went to the second one, didn't qualify. So can I go to the third one? Degal goes to the third one, doesn't qualify. It's like, well, please just let me go. Degal goes to the fourth one. Degal qualifies. You're like, okay. And these these ain't an exceptional thing. This cycle, you know. So the the Olympics before we had one one kid qualify. His name's Amir Khan, seventeen years old wins a silver medal, you know, so that's an extraordinary thing. You know, four years later, I think out of 11 fighters, they had seven or eight qualify. James Gow qualifies at the final attempt. It's like, oh, great, he's going to the Olympics. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm angry, not because I'm not going, but because he is. <laughs> I don't want him to do well. And when he wins gold medal, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to get paid so much money for this. Not because I want the money. At that age, it's because I don't want him to have it. And maybe part of me is still the same. Because, you know, you're not supposed to say this publicly. You're supposed to, you know, you know hand on your chest and be proud of your country and the rest of it. But it's not actually the country that you're fighting for. You're fighting for yourself at the Olympic Games, in boxing in particular. So it's a proud moment. You get to go on a lot of TV shows after. You'll be able to parade it around. You frame your vest. You do this, you do that. But the, the thing that make you smile the most is when you get two extra zeros on your signing bonus for turning professional because you've got an Olympic gold medal. If you don't have that, then you'd get, you'd fall by the wayside. Maybe not so much now because we've had plenty of you know, plenty of Olympic champions, but back then, that's what it equated to. That's that's the honesty. Like That's the honesty I'm, I'm giving right now. And thank you for being and honest. That, very very few people would have been as honest as you of being here, George, about about your motivation. So I'm going to flip it back to you over the net and saying was it then about money at, at that stage yeah i mean at my age now of course i'd love to have gone to olympics i've been proud of that achievement but and many so then but uh there, there are there are maybe two or three ways to measure success in boxing your accomplishments the titles you may win but if you can leave the sport with some money in you know in the bank that's a massive that's a massive success ticked off so uh yeah that that, that that's very important very important for a while okay you talk about measuring mediocrity have you left the sport with enough money in your bank account yeah <laughs> <laughs> i have yeah i'm fortunate enough to to be able to do that i'm part of the i'm not sure of the exact percentage but i'd imagine it's just part of the the five or ten percent of fighters that do yeah i'm okay because you took the very unusual decision at one stage of your career to manage yourself, and very few boxers decide to go down that path. I think uh, a boxing commentator said to me recently, George did not want other people's hands in his pocket. Is that a fair way of describing what was going on for you at the time? Nothing to do with money. So I um, I turned professional under the, the Haymaker uh, promotional banner. So Haymaker was David Hay, the fighter, um, the the face of it, but his partner was his trainer Adam Booth. Um, so when I turned professional, I signed uh, a promotional, a manager, and a trainer's agreement with Adam Booth. Essentially, Adam was my trainer, my manager, and my promoter. I'm not even sure if that's legal now. You know, sort of for someone to have that much control over you. I'm definitely not in the states, but over here, it works for some people. Some people it don't. 
ultimately, at some point, everyone's going to have a massive fallout. So, um, they would say that they, you know, that Adam would say that he managed me impeccably. You know, I had won a Commonwealth title after nine fights. I won a British title after 12 fights. Um, he then, under under uh, under his management, I got, I was ranked high enough for the IBF that I became a mandatory for their world title. So, many respects yeah but I also had to have a lot of hard fights for that and I also did an exceptional job for Haymaker Promotions I I, you know I I I was chief support for um, a lot of their pay-per-view shows Um, I was you know I was I was was a loyal soldier to them you know I I, I was stuck with them when when they lost their TV contract with Satanta and I was in no man's land fighting ad hoc on different shows sort of carving my way through hoping for something to come come off, you always have that that resilience, especially at that age. I had I was still young, was still hungry. I knew that as long as I'm good enough, the opportunities will come. So why did you want to manage yourself? So after a you know, so it, I was ten weeks out from fighting Carl Froch, challenging for the world title. Carl Froch is riding probably the only real wave of his career where his popularity was sky high, and Adam didn't want to didn't want to train me no more. He sent me a text saying, "You know, oh, we're not working together. Our working relationship's over." So, you know, at that point, it's like, okay, great. Let's. I'll move on. I'll do it myself because I was ready. Well, I knew, I knew, I knew at some point this relationship was going to end. Um, ideally, I didn't really want it to end ten weeks before my first world title fight. But I was like, well, great. I'm not going to tread water. I'm not going to waste no more time. This is my chance to go on and do it. And at that point, I didn't know anyone else in the game because you're you're in that bubble. So I'm I'm with, I'm with Adam Booth, and anyone I know is either associated with Adam Booth or or total strangers to me. So this fellow that I knew for so long, who I no longer trusted, just meant that I didn't trust anyone in in, in the game. And the only person I trusted was myself. So I was going to make all decisions myself, and I was going to apply for um, my manager's license. And there's the trusting again, even with ten weeks to go you can't find somebody you can trust to look after your interests, so you look after yourself. That is a theme that comes back time and time again, George, isn't it? Yeah, 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 no, definitely. Did it, did it, do you think that decision in any way, shape or form affected the result of the Froch fight? Yeah, no, definitely. I took control of everything. I told the guys what time to show up for training. Um, I had to go and secure a new trainer. So I called my old amateur coach, uh, Mickey Delaney, and said, can I use the gym? He said, yeah, of course. So I still use the, the boxing gym in the morning, and I designed my own strength and conditioning coaches in, uh, sessions in the evening. I had enough faith and trust in myself to go out and get the job done. Um, it was a performance, start to finish, in the build-up. Every time, every, everything that was said was methodically thought about, assessed, and... Um, and delivered. I don't think that's sustainable for your entire life. But for that camp, for those 10 weeks, it had to be. And it was. I put in a fantastic performance. Um, I couldn't get rid of Cole Froch that night. I did my utmost. With with a trainer that I probably had more of a rapport with, that I'd spent more time with, um, could have gave me better instructions in the corner and I probably would have listened more. Do you class it as a mistake? No. Still, still the best of a bad situation. That fight, I've publicly said that it was it was wrong. It was wrong. The referee stopped the fight far too early. I'd punched Carl Froch from pillar to post for eight eight and a half rounds, and then um, he has one attack and uh, d- 
doesn't really land and the, and the referee jumps in. Definitely. It's interesting that we talk, we've talked about psychology and our preparation for this programme today, George, and you say, you know, you're not quite sure about how psychology works. But in that occasion, in that fight, you made a real effort to try get inside Frotch's head. How did you do how, that? How do I get inside someone's head? Well, the easiest way to do it is to counterpunch. So if you're a counterpunch, you, you wait, you let them lead, you make generalizations about them in the build-up you go right i reckon he's sensitive to this and sensitive to that because he displays this characteristic that characteristic. what do i know about him when when have i spent time together? what have i seen you might go through and look at some social media see some interviews like he says this he says that so at at, at the first press conference right i um try and keep my my cards hidden i'm not going to lay my cards out i'm going to try and give you a bit and layer it Whereas I felt he went all in. He was he was extremely excited because Adam Booth had called the promoter. And the promoter was very close. Eddie Hearn was very close to Carl Froch. Tony said, any correlation, anything you need to know about this fight, I no longer work with George Groves. Go direct to George Groves. He full well told him that, knowing that he's going to tell Carl Froch that the day before the press conference. right? So I got there. And um, we sit at the top table and Carl Froch feels he hasn't received the accolades and that, you know, the you know the public you know love that he deserves for all his performances and where he's at and he's the darling of british box and he sits there and he first he says i i am an, an international superstar now in my in my world that that's that's hilarious that's comedy gold that's brilliant i can't i can't let that go because i think it I don't even think Beyonce would say that. What international superstar? It didn't make any sense to me. The only time he boxed abroad was it, the last time he boxed abroad was was um, Andre Ward, and he got he got beat from pillar to post. So I thought I can't let this go. And so what did you say? What did you respond? I just with? sorry, Cole. Repeat that, you know. Um, but it was just it was affirmation of of the level of arrogance that he had sort of put himself way up on that pedestal if you're going to use a statement like that your accomplishments are mediocre compared to that statement don't celebrate your mediocrity carl because you're not an international superstar in this in 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 this era who are the international superstars in boxing there's a few and far between you know floyd mayweather manny pacquiao that is it you are not on that level but you were stopped on a points decision which you made very clear you dispute the decision and then you have this rematch at Wembley. 80,000 people turn up. Biggest fight in boxing history in modern times on British soil. What was going through your mind for that rematch? Fortunately, I had public opinion on my side. There was outrage at the stoppage. You know, people were finally sort of on my side you know, for the performance I put in and, and more so the, the unjustly sort of robbery that I'd sort of suffered. So then it was just, right, how do we, how do I, how do I get back what, what is rightfully mine? I had the mentality of, of a world champion who just hadn't been crowned. That was the worst thing that I had, I, I feel. So I, I was like, I've, I've done this, but it's just, I have, you know, I just haven't collected my rewards yet. But, at this point, I want to totally eclipse, you know, the first fight with the magnitude of the rematch. What were the psychological pressures you were under going into Wembley uh, for this rematch? Did you ever feel under pressure? Did you ever have, have any dark days? Did you have any doubts that you could beat Froch? Absolutely no doubts. No doubts whatsoever. 
completely confident, extremely confident right uber, now. Uber confident. Uber confident. But, you're, but you're, you're, not ta- you're not to the canvas with, quote, the, what the commentator said on that day, the best punch you will ever see in a British boxing ring. This fight wasn't a Rocky story. This fight, this, this fight, it was the first time in my life, in my career, where it wasn't down to who wanted it most. <laughs> Didn't matter how much I wanted to get off the canvas, I was knocked unconscious, you know. I'd made a, I'd made a, made a mistake. I dropped my left hand, I stepped to the left, knowing Carl Foch sets it up with his jab, big loop in right hand. Um, he can punch hard enough to, to knock you out. Best punch of his career, as as sort of was said at the time as well. But um, it was the the realization that a split second mistake can cost you a lifetime's work. That's what it felt at the time. A lifetime's work. Gone. Did it cost you a lifetime's work? No, at that at that stage, I'd lost. I'd lost the first fight, but it didn't feel like a loss. This one felt like a loss, and therefore I didn't have that perfect record. You know, I I couldn't rewrite history no more. You know, I wasn't a, I wasn't, I wasn't the king in in Game of Thrones who who takes over and then rewrites history. Carl Froch is rewriting history, and now I've got no voice. I've got, I've got no backing. How do I, how do I get back? Fortunately, I'm still one of the most commercially viable fighters in the UK. Um, I still have the the hunger and desire to get back what's mine. Why now? But come on, let's just let's just get it back. Just before we move on from that fight, what was your initial feelings? And I'm going to stress the word feelings of coming round after being knocked out by Froch in front of eighty thousand people. Was it shame? Was it embarrassment? Was it disappointment? What What did yeah. you feel? Well, everything. Uh, truly gutted. Gutted. I looked at the corner and I was like, I knew it was stopped because the referee had stopped it. And I was like, is it, is it, is it? And like, they're like, yeah. So I was like, oh, so I know I've been actually knocked out. And then, and then it's performance. I'm thinking, right, you've sold this fight and you now need to uh, damage control. Make sure that your post-fight interview is on point. Don't be, don't be arrogant. Be, uh, just, just, just tell people what they want to hear because that's the only way you're going to be able to save your career right now. Um, be, be fine to let that sadness across. Try and give credit where credit's due. You see, there's a logical George Groves, very, very clear thinking, and you are a very, very clear thinking athlete. I'm trying to go to the level further down, George, at the disappointment, the darkness about what you must be feeling about the defeat. How do you get over that? There'll be people listening to this radio show who have had crushing experiences in their lives, the equivalent of you being knocked out at Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000 people. They might have gone through a divorce. They might have gone through a bereavement. They might have gone through a, a job loss or something like that. How did you pick yourself up quite literally and say, I'm going to carry on, I'm going to go back and eventually win a world title? I wasn't ready to throw in the towel then. It was a new experience, as I say, getting um, getting beat because you 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 hadn't been cheated, and it wasn't down to who wanted it most or with the you know who deserved it most. That they're not real notions of you know of of life. Sometimes it's just how it is. It wasn't oh, I need to give up or surrender or 
even grieve it was it was damage control it was like right how do, <laughs> how do i come out of this with some lives intact so that i can come again um that night i get home i think i think quite a lot of the family came back to my I'd, uh, a little flat in in eyesworth we came came back to mine um i think everyone was worried about me because i remember thinking why are so many people here <laughs> what were they worried about i don't know I don't know. Oh, come on, George. You I, must I, know. They're worried about me. They're worried about me. I don't know whether they Your they're... mental state or your physical state? Uh, maybe a bit of both. A bit of both. I mean, my mum... The, the women in particular, because they've expressed it in my family, always worried about the, the physical uh, state. You know, I think that's that's your initial feeling. would always be the, is he physically okay? Um, I'm more interested in the psychological yeah. damage. And one of the a boxing commentator said to me when discussing you a couple of weeks ago, ask George if there was any PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, that went on after that fight where you re, you had flashbacks to being beaten, you had flashbacks to waking up in front of 80,000 people. What did it do to you psychologically? Do you still dream about it? No, 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 not at all. I, I hardly think about it. Um more more recent than not, I'm I'm talking about it again. Um, I haven't watched a fight back since. Why? I don't like watching myself get beat. It's not a process I feel I need to go through. It's not. I don't. I don't need to. Don't need to. Uh, to remind myself of of that. I, I'm I'm happy with going through life with something a little bit disgruntled in my belly. I feel like that's what gets you up in the morning. Sometimes that's what makes me as a person push on to do something good to do something different to do something hopefully special um i finished boxing now and i'd like to go on to be great at something else you know i've realized that my time has come gone now in boxing i i don't i don't want it anymore my circumstances have changed my uh my home life's changed my my desires changed but having that disgruntledness in my belly like still that things haven't been perfect well that's not so bad it's not so bad i've learned a lot in my career through the you know the highs and the lows and i'm not you know too fussed about going back and watching that rematch where i got beat because uh i'm frustrated frustrated about the mistakes in 2014 you said i'm sick of boxing what do you mean by that i know understand what the words mean why were you sick of boxing so 2014, I think we're talking about after I got beat by Baddy Jack. So uh, the way it sort of felt in my in my head was that, and I spoke to I spoke to a intelligent chap, and he used this this analogy with me, and he said, "You you think you've climbed the mountain, but you're not. You're you're ten feet from the top. You haven't stamped your flag in the ground, said you've done it. You ain't a world champion. You got ten feet." from becoming a world champion but you ain't got you ain't got to the top you've got no belts so stop walking around feeling sorry for yourself thinking oh, I've done it but I haven't got I haven't got the, the rewards for it you need to you might need to start again from the bottom but you need to go and win that world title and I feel like that I was in that state right the way up until the Badu Jack fight and um, it just did it just wasn't right it totally wasn't right it's the only time in my career that I that went into a fight knowing that this ain't gonna go well, you know. Um, I was I was in the bathtub um, at the Aria Hotel, and they had a they had a lovely corner suite, and it had a big glass window, and you sort of sit in the bathtub and look out at the Vegas sky, 
And that is not what you should be doing like two hours before a fight, uh, three hours before a fight, sitting in a warm bath. It's going to send you asleep. You've got to all liven up. On the sporting couch on Talk Sport with Samaritans, when life is tough, they're here to listen. Call free, day or night, 365 days a year on the 116 123 or visit samaritans.org. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I need to do I'm good at physical fighting you know I'm not good at talking as I say I'm not, not the best conversationalist so uh, we um, apart as I left I left Vegas rock bottom absolutely rock bottom ready to walk away from the sport so it was the first time in my life I was like what am I going to do instead of boxing instead of what am I going to do after boxing I was going to have to sell my house you know because I couldn't afford the mortgage repayments I uh, I didn't, you know, I've got no other skills, you know. I have, I don't need, at that point, I didn't really have any other interests. So I didn't know what I was going to do. As I said, I was going to, I started drinking coffees. So I thought I was going to open a coffee shop, you know. But then, uh, it, it never lasts long. It's, just, it's, in, it's almost like it's ingrained in you. It never lasts long. It feels like forever, but it's like three weeks before I start. I go on a couple of dog walks, go down to Chichester for the weekend, I think, with, um, and the dogs, and then come back. It's like, Start looking at new gyms now. I'm gonna find a new trainer. So, how are you coping having properly retired last year and it is all over? Do you still get that hunger? Do you still have the problems that the psychologists would call transitioning out of the sport? Do you have the psychological pressures on you, George? Do you know where you want to go? I don't think. I don't think. Yeah, and I don't think I will. You know, the wins felt just as good, but the stuff that went into it, the build-up, just way out outweighed the satisfaction of winning so like a fight in particular after winning a world title so that it's all a come down from there it's all downhill from there um now it's about getting some defenses in and some money maybe it was you know put some longevity in, into your your achievements so that you're not just sort of a one-hit wonder um i beat chris eubank jr it was a massive fight it was the the biggest hit um 
uh, on pay-per-view outside of sort of Sky. So it was a it was a big hit on ITV. Sold out the Manchester Arena. Good fight for the fans to watch. Dislocate my shoulder in the last round. So uh, I didn't enjoy enjoy that win at all. I did a couple of poses in the ring after. I got my belt. Went to the change room in agony. Into an ambulance to the hospital. They popped the shoulder back in. Get back to the hotel. It's four in the morning. And I'm arguing with the promoter not to pull me out the final. Because he's going, ah, the final's got to be in June. Because he's done some pre-existing TV contract. Like, You're going to pull me. You, 20,000 people just watched me win, a, win win the semi-final with one arm. Like, And you're going to pull me out the final? Yeah, but these TV deals, I'm going to have to. It felt like he was saying, oh, I'm going to have to make a couple of calls. It's like, okay, mate, you know, this is this is my l- livelihood on the line. But anyway, it was it was it was a fight continually right up until the the final went out there. So I always talk about risk reward. It's not risk reward this time. It's you know it's it's workload to reward. Just wasn't there for me anymore. So I was like, I'm happy to now leave boxing. Young enough, I I hope to to go and try and be be very good at something else. Not exactly sure what that'll be, but um, I like I like the freedom. I like I like. I like that there isn't that pressure to get back in the gym, to get the weight off, to to stay in shape, to do this, to do that, to to continually be battling for the next position, the next fight, trying to keep ahead of the curve, trying to be dynamic, trying to be creative. They they were the fun side, but doing it now without um without having any boxing um, looming just means that I can really sort of indulge my creative side, which is I might try some stand up comedy one day. You know. Oh, you'd be great. Do you see any parallels between being a boxer and up there in the ring and and, and stand-up comedian who has to? Yeah, I, I think so. I definitely think so. I mean, it's it's performance. Boxing's definitely a performance. If you want to succeed, you have there's a lot you can learn from from the stand-ups who can who can carry themselves, who can communicate properly, who can um, have that confidence that in their body language, in their presence, in in their voice, to really carry themselves well. Which as a fighter, you. You want to do to sell the fight as such, you know, because if you can't sell a fight, you're never going to earn any money. You're not going to get the opportunities that you, your talent might deserve. But also, um, it's a battle, you know, it's you versus someone else. So you want to put on that performance against them. You want them to ultimately fear you in the build-up. You have bumped into a couple of psychologists before, and your your quote to me was, "It's not for me." <laughs> Sorry about that. It's all right. No, you know, I, I'm. Uh, you seem quite guarded at some level, actually, George, about going to the very depths of your despair, the depths of your feelings. There's always, to me, having met you today for the first time, a sort of bottom of the elevator ride. There's no way you're going to go further than that. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm not. I'm not a big sharer, as such. You know. Um, I, I, I genuinely like the idea of keeping some stuff personal. You know, we live in an age now where everyone has to put their life online. You know, yeah, I see, I saw, I saw a quote the other day where, you know, twenty years ago, you wrote everything in a diary. If one person read it, you went mad. And now you put everything, you put your whole diary online, and if people don't like it, you get mad. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I like, I like to keep a couple of things mystique a couple of things personal and uh and nine times out of ten it might be because i don't exactly know what i want to say and because i want to deliver good work 
So I haven't got to the the depths of whatever it may be, and I kind of want to get there first. You said you didn't really want to talk about the close relationships in your life, but you are married to an extraordinary woman, Sophie. Um, do you share other things you keep from her, or there even one or two little things you keep back from her? No, no. I think I feel like she, she's probably my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> she, that's probably why I, I never need to go too far. Um, she's my childhood sweetheart. I've known her since we were two years old, which is is fantastic for uh, you know when you want to post a picture of us in playgroup together. Um, we 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 we've been good friends pretty much our entire lives, and um, we've been together now. Over ten years, we've been married um, six years. Uh, yeah, she's she's a she's a wonderful person. She was there before boxing became what what it became. So um, she she's the only person I suppose, you know, who I I trust in its entirety. Well, well, obviously, other other family members I I trust, but they they don't get the they don't get the whole picture because they don't live and breathe it like we have to. So her opinion. Uh, matters to me more than anyone else's. George Groves, a man with trust issues, is that fair? Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> and uh, and I encourage everyone else to to be sceptical, you know. And maybe that is because I I live in the world of boxing, you know. And sport in general is it's a business, you know. But, you know, the, the average fan on the street they they watch it because they have passion for it because they love it because it's entertainment. But behind the scenes, it's it's uh, it's the inner cogs of, of business that will be the formula for for a lot of things in life and i've got a lot of trust issues it takes a lot for me to trust someone um especially when i'm uh got uh, speaking into a microphone but i um i i i implore everyone else to to to, to have their guard up from time to time you know otherwise you might get knocked out in front of eighty thousand people at wembley how do you think boxing is going to change in the next 15 years i think i think it will thrive i think i think we'll start to see a demise in um the ultimate fighting which is people lots of people were saying five ten years ago that they, once it actually was gaining some momentum it was going to take over boxing wipe out boxing but it it never will the fighters don't last as long the fight the, the game's too brutal it just won't appeal enough to the every man you know you'll you'll struggle to get the casual fans in you'll have the ad hoc personality who can do that but do you think that's because Today's generation do not want that brutality, or do you think they they sort of crave that brutality of? of, of I think I think fighting? I think you think you off the bat you do until you you're exposed to it a bit and then you're like, mm, that's it's no good. You know, boxing boxing is is ultimately once you get past the fact that it's two men punch each other in the face, or now it could be two women punch each other in the face, which don't sit right with everyone. Once you get past that, you see the skill element and the the gentlemanly conduct as such there are you know strict rules you know there are certain targets you can't hit people on the floor you can't strangle them you can't do it where that ends up being like uncultured so we come to the end of the show what does it mean to you when i say the words george groves he won a world title it means that i achieved my childhood dream that it wasn't all for nothing you got a huge grin on your face. <laughs> the biggest grin I've seen today. That's a. I like to undersell it. Hopefully, that's that's the the best way to undersell it. It wasn't all for nothing because at some point, it could have been, and that would have been my mantra. That would have been put on my tombstone one day. Uh, I achieved my childhood dream. I can add my name to uh, all them other champions out there that done it. 
Um, don't celebrate the mediocrity. Uh, you keep pushing. You get there and uh, you achieve your goals. And when you do, you can maybe smile as much as I can. George Groves, many thanks for joining me on the Sporting Couch. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to On the Sporting Couch, a psychological profile of one of our most successful boxers of the last 10 years, super middleweight champion George Groves. I'm Gary Bloom, a sports psychotherapist and counsellor, trying to help people overcome difficult feelings they're having in their personal lives. If you've been affected by any of the issues in today's show or just want to get in touch, please do so via my Twitter handle, at Bloomers57, and there are some useful links about mental health on our page on the TalkSport website, www.talksport.com forward slash sporting dash couch. And if you want to listen to this show again or recommend it to someone else, please find it as a podcast, Google Acast on the Sporting Couch. I hope you've enjoyed today's programme. I'm Gary Bloom, sports psychotherapist. And remember, there's no such thing as good health without good mental health. Goodbye. 